Welcome to Leading with Empathy and Allyship, where we have deep, real conversations to build empathy for one another and to take action to be more inclusive and to lead the change in our workplaces and communities. I'm Melinda Brianna Epler, founder and CEO of Change Catalyst and author of How to Be an Ally. I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion speaker, advocate, and advisor. You can learn more about my work and sign up to join us for a live recording at ally.cc. All right, let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Today, our guest is Matt Lancedal, life and spiritual coach at Inspired to be Authentic. He's also one of the leaders at Gay Men's Brotherhood, where he has a podcast as well, which our producer Renzo Santos loves. And that's actually how we found him. In addition, Matt has his own podcast, Inspired to be Authentic. So today we'll be talking about what it means to be empathic and what it means to be highly sensitive, which are related, but not necessarily the same. And we'll talk about how you can support yourself if you're a highly sensitive person and how allies and colleagues and managers can best support empathic and highly sensitive people on their teams. So welcome, Matt. Thank you. Yeah, I'm honored to be here. I love yeah. what you guys are about. So I, I couldn't say no to this opportunity. <laughs> awesome. Likewise, likewise. Um, so um, to start, could you tell us a bit about your own story? Who are you? Where did you grow up? How did you end up doing the work that you do now? So I uh, grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and that's where I currently am living. I struggled with uh, addiction throughout my teenage years and into my early 20s. And that brought me into rehab and I um, got sober. I decided I wanted to go into that profession. So I went to school at the University of Lethbridge and I studied uh, my undergraduate was addiction counseling. And I did that work for about 10 years. And then I I morphed uh, into uh, doing more traditional coaching work. I did fitness and nutrition coaching and weight loss coaching uh, as a bit of a reprieve from that work and really enjoyed that. But I felt like, you know, in the last few years, my calling was, you know, really to get back into doing my counseling and my healing work and working with psychology and spirituality. So just in the last few years, I've gotten back into doing this work. And um, recently, within the last two years, discovered uh, that I'm highly sensitive. I always knew I was sensitive, but I didn't realize there was a term for it and like a scientific trait. And, you know, really exploring my, you know, being an empath and these sorts of things. So I figured I would get back into doing uh, this type of work, but really focusing instead of focusing on addiction, focusing more on um, helping people become more authentic. And I see like the biggest barriers and they were for me, it was trauma and shame. Uh, So a lot of the work I do is helping um, highly sensitive people, gay men and empaths um, heal shame and trauma and move more towards their authentic self. I absolutely love it. I feel like I'm Mm. really aligned to my, to my soul's purpose and what I'm meant to be doing in this life. So yeah, it's great. And it's great to be able to be on these, you know, more public podcasts where I can share and educate people on some of these things that are a little bit more hidden and and people don't talk about them very much. Yeah. yeah. And I will say that I didn't really know the term before talking with you either that and then took the test according to the test i'm very highly sensitive yeah um and yeah. so we can maybe we could get into that a little bit more in a bit yeah. but let's define it first what does it mean to be an empath first and then secondly we can talk about highly sensitive yeah most definitely so i i kind of view the, the word sensitivity as like the broad umbrella and then underneath it you have sensory processing sensitivity you have empathy like people with high empathy um 
So to define what an empath is, basically empathy means to be able to understand and feel one's emotions, your own and other people's emotions. Being an empath is a little different in the sense that when you're highly empathic, it means you're able to feel people's emotions, but you're also able to transmute and heal emotions. And mm. I, b- I believe that the transmutation is really connecting into somebody's emotional world, feeling what they're feeling and helping them move that emotional energy. It's essentially, you know, you can equate being an empath with being a healer. We, we heal on the, on the emotional level and, um, and we deeply connect with people on an emotional level. My own thoughts coming through when you say that is many people can have empathy. And the next step of that is to really understand not only what somebody is feeling, but how to get to the next stage, right? That that healing stage is the kind of next level. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and I, I think, you know, when you look at people with high empathy, that would be more on the highly sensitive spectrum. That's one of the traits of being highly sensitive is, is having high empathy. And then what differentiates somebody with high empathy and being an empath is that transmutability that we can, we can help heal and we can help um, the person move through that experience. So when we're talking about allyship, of course, that's a great quality to have if you're an ally, because you have a good sense of how you might be able to support somebody. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about what it means to be sensitive and highly, as highly sensitive person in specific. What is, what is that trait? So I have my own definition for sensitivity and it is, I, I define it as a gift that allows us to be highly attuned and perceptive to ourselves and our environment. Because I went looking for definitions of sensitivity and you can imagine what I found. (laughs) It was, it was all the stigma around what being sensitive means and how it means, you know, that we're delicate and weak and fragile and emotion hurt, you know, hurt easily emotionally and these sorts of things. So I, I I wanted to define it in my own way that is more empowering uh, and really truly uh, grasps the notion of what it means to be a sensitive person. So the term highly sensitive person was coined by Dr. Elaine Aaron, who's a psychologist who has been studying the trait for many decades now. And really what it means is when you're highly sensitive, it means that you score high on a temperament or personality trait called sensory processing sensitivity. And basically what this means is that we have a different structured nervous system um, than non-sensitive people. So our nervous systems are all just, like I said, in the definition, they're more perceptive, they're highly attuned to ourselves and our environment. So we're really, really able to notice what's going on in our own experience at at a very deep level. And we're also able to notice what's going on in other people's experiences on a deep level. So there's actually an acronym um, called DOES, D-O-E-S, to help people understand what sensory processing sensitivity is. And the D stands for depth of processing. So it means that we we process information, right? Cognitive information, stimuli in our environment. We process it very deeply. So we oftentimes people will experience that as deep thinkers, right? Highly sensitive people tend to be deep thinkers and deep feelers. Um, so that's the first one. The, the O stands for overstimulation. And if you think about somebody who's constantly processing information on a very deep level, depth and breadth of information, it we're taking in a lot. 
So we become overstimulated easily. And that this one tends to be the one that most highly sensitive people categorize as a negative trait. One of the only negative traits about being sensitive is that we get overstimulated and it's really hard to regulate our nervous system when we're in a state of overstimulation. And then that leads to the E, which is emotional reactivity and empathy. So people that that score high on the trait tend to be more emotionally reactive. If you look at you're processing a ton of information, you're overstimulated, and then your emotional stimuli is also high, right? So it, it's easier for people to become emotionally reactive. And that's for both. That's not just for, say, like the negatively framed emotions. It's also for the positively framed emotions. So we feel pain and sadness on a very deep level, but we also feel love and joy on a very deep level. So it is kind of that double-edged sword. And then the, the other E is the empathy. People that are highly sensitive, there's been scientific research done on them having more activity in the insula region of the brain, which is in charge of mirror neuroning. So for example, when I sitting with a client and, and they become emotional, my mirror neurons are firing based off of what the expressions are going on in their face. And I'm able to feel what they're feeling. So people that have a score high on sensory processing sensitivity have high empathy and are, are able to feel what other people are feeling. And then the, the S stands for um, a strong ability to notice subtleties in their environment. So because we're processing information on such a deep level, we're able to like notice patterns. We're able to notice when things change. So an example of this would be, you know, if I met with you last week and if you were to come in today with black hair, I would very, very much notice that, right? So we just notice things when they change over time, which this is a really great thing for workplaces and working on teams as we're able to pick up on the things that, that, you know, traditionally non-sensitive people won't pick up on. Some other important things to share with you guys about the trait is that it's about 20% of people on the planet score high on this trait which is extremely high. That's one in five people that you come across is going to be highly sensitive. And because sensitivity has a lot of stigma around it, a lot of people deny this part of themselves or they shut this part of themselves off uh, because it's viewed as a weakness um, in the traditional ways that we have uh, defined sensitivity. It is an inherited trait. So it's genetic. It is passed down. So if you have it, likely your mom, mother or father has it, and you also can pass it on to your children. And then across uh, gender, it's equal. So oftentimes people think that women are, are more sensitive than men, but this is absolutely mm -hmm. not true. It's scored equally um, across the genders, across gender. And there are about 200 species that exhibit this as well. This is not just uh, within the human species. This is exhibited across most species. And they, you know, scientific research shows that it's more about adaptation and longevity of the survival of the species. Because, you know, if, if a highly sensitive person notices something before everyone else does, right, we will likely, you know, in, in other species, they might be able to feel when the tsunami is coming so they can mm -hmm. let all their, everybody else know to get up onto higher ground, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just this real strong ability to be perceptive so we can um, adapt and survive. I saw in a video of a recent earthquake, um, it was a, a cat sanctuary and, and it showed on video that the cats sensed it before you could perceive an earthquake. Um, Isn't that, that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. There's so many things that you said that call different ideas to mind. One is that that overstimulation and that kind of over processing, I have always thought of that as being an introvert. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's a very late, and I suspect there's a lot of um, introverts who are highly sensitive people as well. But and and I think Susan Cain mentions uh, being sensitive or sensitivity in her book Quiet too. Is there anything more that you want to add around the interrelatedness between highly sensitive people and introverts? Yes, very much so. So about. 70% of HSPs uh, score high on introversion and mm. 30% score high on extroversion. So oh, it is wow. it is a misconception that all sensitive people are going to be introverts, but it's it's actually not true. So that's why Dr. Elaine Aaron was able to extrapolate the data between sensory processing sensitivity and introversion. Mm. Because what she was seeing in her research was that teachers and parents were saying, my son is shy, um, you know, mm. he's introverted, but really that's, there's also children who score high on the trait that are extroverted. So introversion and sensory processing sensitivity were not actually the same thing. And that's when the research started to really um, shine through that this is a really unique trait. And, and also ADHD was something that was also misdiagnosed for sensory processing sensitivity. So to be able mm-hmm. to kind of have the discernment between these three categories, I think is really powerful. It's really you know life-changing for parents and children that are HSP. It also makes me think that because people can be highly sensitive and introverts, that they can be misperceived as extroverts as well. I'll just take myself as an example is when I was on an executive team, we all took Myers-Briggs test and I scored pretty high on the eye on introverts, right? And so many people were surprised uh, at that. And that's, I think it's because I... I actually have a lot of social cues and a lot, you know, I have a lot of energy when I'm, when I'm in crowds, it's just that afterwards I, (laughs) I'm I'm dead, right? I have to recover. I have to recover from it. Um, So I think. Are you INFJ? I'm INFJ. P. Okay. So I, close, I, close, yeah. Close. And I used to be, uh, I have changed. I used to be INTJ. So that's, that. I mean, it's a big percentage of the population too. 20% is a, is a big percentage of the population. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of your work is around shame and self-healing. Can yeah. you talk about how that relates with empathy and being highly sensitive? Yeah, I think shame uh, in particular, I guess. Shame, yeah, that's that's the biggest one. Like, you know, well, I should I shouldn't say that because shame and trauma are pretty equal. um, But people who have experienced trauma tend to have shame around their trauma. So it just Mm. it always it seems kind of like really interrelated. But any sort of um, minority, I feel like there's going to be an element of shame because we feel different. We have been marginalized or oppressed in some in some way, and it it makes the Road towards authenticity a little bit more challenging. And that's mm-hmm. why I see kind of shame and authenticity as, you know, you need to move through shame and do kind of shadow work and, and do your healing around this before you can move towards your authenticity. Because shame tells us there's something wrong with me. That's the mantra of shame, right? If shame could say something, that it would say there's something wrong with you. And uh, we internalize that. And then we don't want to share ourselves with the world. We are f- afraid of rejection and judgment. So we hide ourselves behind masks and personas. And um, I just think that, you know, the work that I do with my clients is liberation work, really liberating them from the the confines of their mask or the boxes that they've put themselves in or, you know, within identifying with their self-concept and really breaking free of that and and connecting to the the infiniteness of their soul their soul energy that we're all made of energy and that we don't have to be attaching to these labels as much 
although the labels can be helpful, right. To help people understand who we are. I think that is important too. So it's kind of like, you know, being, you know, balanced in, in that space. If I could yeah. just interject for a minute, I, I'm, I think what you said earlier is really important to re-say here, which is that, sure. that there's a stigma against being sensitive, right? That's sensitivity. Yes. And especially, I would say that you said that it's across all genders, right? And then um, there is uh, definitely a stigma against men with high, who are highly sensitive as well. So I suspect definitely. there's quite a bit of masking that's happening. You mentioned shadow work. Can you say what that, what that means for anybody who doesn't know? Yeah, definitely. Um, shadow work is essentially, you could also frame it as like self-acceptance work, right? Because we all have these shadow aspects of our nature that they, it tends to be in our psyche and it's subconscious. We're not really aware of these aspects of ourselves that we've split from and we've rejected about ourselves. So, you know, a good example of this was my sensitivity growing up. I put that in the closet and I didn't want to talk about it. And I was very calloused and very, I, I was hyper-masculine so that people wouldn't see this part of me. So a lot of the shadow work that I had to do to learn to accept my sensitivity was to integrate my feminine because I, I grew up with messages around masculinity and how you have to, you can't be feminine. You can't, if you were feminine, you were weak, um, these sort of things. So a lot of my integration was around embracing my feminine qualities and embracing the feminine qualities in others. And, and I don't just mean that from a gender perspective. I mean that from an energy perspective, like I think we, you know, we all have masculine and feminine energies and I was denying mine on the mm -hmm. feminine side. And uh, so yeah, shadow work mm -hmm. is a process that you can go through to learn to love all the parts of you and make peace with them so that they can, they can exist within your experience without you becoming constantly triggered by people who may embody the, those traits that you have rejected about yourself. Yeah. I grew up in a family that did not show empathy and where emotions were expected yeah. to be covered. And so, so I also had to do a lot of work when I was in college. I left the, I left my, my family and realized that's not how I want to show up in the world. <laughs> and so I did a lot of work to, to learn how to build empathy, to understand. I have said this before in a couple of different podcast episodes, but I and happened upon a work study. I worked throughout college and did work studies as well as um, other jobs. And as one of the work studies that I, um, that I did, was on a psychology study using Paul Ekman's work around facial expressions. And, mm. and so Paul Ekman has this amazing body of research on facial expressions and the different muscles in your faces that convey different expressions and also how you use different muscles in your face when you're covering, when you're masking as well. Right. So the study was actually looking at not just the, the, the facial expressions that people genuinely and authentically convey, but also looking at what's different about masking. Um, so I, I learned um, empathy through basically understanding the different facial expressions that made up emotions or didn't or masked emotions. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that amazing? And, you know, it's, it's so funny because um, the body can't lie. Mm -hmm. Most people don't realize that, but the body yeah. can't lie. So whenever, you know, that, and that's kind of one of my gifts is I'm able to notice these things in my sessions with clients and I can feel the emotions they're feeling just based off of like, it might be a, just a mild twitch mm -hmm. right on their, in their face. And I'm like, okay. And then I can feel in my body what they're feeling in theirs. And, you know, that's the gift of high empathy, right. As we're able to kind of notice these things and 
we all try so hard, like with our ego or our mind to hide these parts of us because we don't want to be expressive emotionally. But when you're really, you're trained and you, you know, this stuff, like Paul has taught you that you're, you're really able to tune into somebody's world, right? Mm-hmm. When you can see their body language and the way their body is expressing itself, even though they might not be aware of it, that's powerful. So it also makes me think about highly sensitive people who may have underrepresented identities in the workplace and experience biases and microaggressions and how might affect them differently. I just kind of thinking about this out loud is does that do highly sensitive people experience trauma differently and workplace trauma differently? And I I would say that microaggressions are um, traumatic, can be traumatic. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, there's a term in the literature around sensitivity called differential susceptibility. And, you know, basically you could have two people, like let's say they're twins and one of them is HSP and the other one isn't, and they have the exact same experience that there is a stronger likelihood that the highly sensitive person will experience impact from that. So that might Mm -hmm. be trauma. My theory is, is that we are processing so deep right? So Mm -hmm. when something happens, let's say you have conflict with somebody at work and you're having a hard time because you're, you're ruminating, right? That's what depth of processing could look like. It could look like deep thinking and which could lead to rumination. And then we're just becoming emotionally activated because we're ruminating so much. And that can lead to like perseverating on something and just not being able to let it go. So, you know, it's, you know, a lot of the work I do with, with my clients is teaching them how to process their emotions I always say you learn to embrace your sensitivity when you learn how to feel your emotions, because most of us are so shut off from our emotions, just human beings in general. But when we are sensitive and we feel so deeply, we learn to shut our emotions off quite quickly when we're younger because, or or at least numb them out or dissociate, or we do something to cope with it because it just is way too intense. And we haven't learned the skills to, to cope with our emotions. So the work I do is bringing people back online from things like dissociation, repression, numbing, distracting from their emotions, Mm -hmm. like any sort of avoidance. And because really, when you look at it, like authenticity is connecting, you need to connect with your emotions to be authentic because your emotions are really guiding you. They're your compass that are pointing you in the direction of of what your needs are. And then Mm -hmm. your needs are pointing you in the direction of what your boundaries are, right? So we really, emotional uh, intelligence is just such an important part of of the healing journey and of life in general. Yeah. Yeah. For people who are listening or or watching who are highly sensitive people, what are some ways that they might start to think about that healing, think about that that internal work to be more authentic? And and I think one of the things that comes to mind is boundaries, you know, and and I know that's some of the work that you do. So maybe you could talk about that a little bit too. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll first start off by saying that on my Instagram, Inspired to be Authentic, I have like a ton. That's basically all I do is I just educate on that channel on how to work with your emotions, how to set boundaries, how to live your most authentic self. Um, But it always, it always comes back to embodiment, which is connecting with your body, having a relationship with your body, right? The emotions live in the body, the thoughts live in the mind, and they're both very important. And most of us are living from our minds. And we need to come downward into our body and connect with the wisdom of our body, which is the wisdom of our soul, right? It lives in our body. I always just say, like, find some sort of practice 
that's going to allow you to connect with your body. And a lot of people immediately attribute to like meditation or something where you have to be still. And that's not always true, right? There's passive and there's active meditation. So you can be, you can do a walking meditation, right? Mm -hmm. Where your goal is just to focus on, on your senses, your five senses while you're walking and trying your best to, to stay out of, you know, unconscious thought patterns. It could be yoga nidra. It could be just yoga in general. It could be stretching. It could be dancing, embodied dance or embodied movement. And I just think that's a really big part of it because if you look at healing too, like, you know, the things that get in the way of us being authentic and being happy and joyful and peaceful is things like shame and trauma and grief and fear and these things that live inside of our body. And I think we really need to connect with our body to be able to release this stuff so we can therefore have more space to enjoy the things we want to enjoy. I think that some people um, use exercise in the same way that kind of getting some of the energy out (laughs) of your body as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think anything is great. I would just say monitor the intention behind it because if mm -hmm. you're going to the gym and you're, you know, kicking butt and and that's great, but you're mostly just going to be, you know, working on building your body. If you want to start to connect with the emotional stuff, then I would say maybe it needs to be a bit slower because Mm -hmm. the mind operates at a pace and so does the body and the body is very, it's a lot slower. And Mm -hmm. we live in a, we live in a world where everything's about instant gratification and we are all moving at paces that are really quick and you know, just the simple act of slowing down is probably one of the biggest things that you can do to start to move towards healing because we heal at a pace that's slow, not at a pace that's fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something else that came to mind when you were talking about it living in the body is that uh, seeing an acupuncturist for some hormone related uh, stuff. And, and I went in about a, a month and a half ago and she looked at my shoulders and said, what's going on with your shoulders? What are you holding in your shoulders? <laughs> You're holding a lot of responsibility in your shoulders. Let's, what's up with that? Um, so we do. We hold this. We hold yeah. this in different p- places in our bodies. And yeah, Louise May does great work around that. Um, if you're interested, she has a book called "You Can Heal Yourself," and she mm-hmm. at the back of the book there's like corresponding illnesses or body parts with certain things. And you're bang on. Shoulders is about responsibility and putting too much pressure on ourselves and taking on the weight of the world. Mm. And a lot of people carry tension in their shoulders and Mm -hmm. their neck, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, uh, and a lot of us are really hard on ourselves and we're putting a lot of pressure on ourselves. So makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it ends up, you know, it comes out in all kinds of ways from headaches to lots of different back problems because you're, you're not holding your neck right. And all of that stuff. There's a lot of of things that can come out from that. So I want to get to allyship as well. And when you work with or manage um, highly sensitive people, how can you be a good ally for them and really help them thrive? What are some things to look out for and um, how can you support them? You know, like uh, a lot of the people that I work with and I do, I run courses as well. And a lot of the people that are in my courses, some of them are in corporate and it's a very, very stressful environment for highly sensitive people because we don't really work well with being rushed where we tend to be more deliberate Mm -hmm. and we like to make the right decision and we like to move a bit slower and multitasking leads to overstimulation, right? Mm -hmm. So these sorts of things. So I would say if you have a highly sensitive person on your team, it's really important to nurture their gift and understand their gift and slot them into roles that are going to uh, allow them to thrive, 
right? Um, which is not going to be high pressure, you know, multitasking, do, 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 working 12 hours a day on no sleep. Like that just isn't going to really work for a highly sensitive person. And they're not aware that they're HSP and they're doing it anyway, then they're going to experience significant burnout. They'll have probably a lot of physical health related issues, emotional health related issues because of it. Yeah. I would say just give them a lot of space, give them a lot of space uh, to be able to work at a pace that's going to work for for their nervous system. Cause really that's, that's what you're working with. When you're working with a highly sensitive person, you're working with their nervous system. And hmm. it, I, I would even go a step further and say, when you're working with anybody, you're working with their nervous system, right? Because we all have our past experiences stored in our nervous system. So, you know, when you have conflict in the workplace, you're working with two nervous systems that are activated, right? So with a highly sensitive person, you're just working with a different structured nervous system. So practicing curiosity with your employees as well, if you're managing HSPs, like practice curiosity, ask them questions. What is it like to be you? What does get you overstimulated? What areas do you thrive in? What's your passion? You know, because there's so much value to having an HSP on, on your team because of like what I said earlier, they pick up on things that others don't. They process information very deep and with a lot of breadth as well. So they're just able to really add a lot of value. And that kind of that brings to mind for me also so many companies are now either remote or hybrid, um, kind yeah. of remote and hybrid. Yeah. And and I have noticed that um, for example, I was leading a workshop the other day and the workplace culture of that company is to turn off their video. So I was leading a workshop and I couldn't see anybody's faces. I couldn't see anybody's energy, right? What's going on? And, and I think, um, is that, that, that actually more processing happened in my brain because I was like, ah, is this landing right? What is happening? Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't perceive that, which I think is a, is a, is, is an interesting issue that we don't really talk about in result of that remote workplace um, yeah. for highly sensitive people. And, and and so any any other thoughts that come to mind about how we can support highly sensitive people within that remote environment? I don't know about supporting people, but I would say one of the biggest things is supporting yourself. A lot of mm. highly sensitive people have a hard time speaking up because there is shame around being different and they don't know how to educate their, their colleagues or their management on their trait. Right. And most of them, to be honest, aren't even aware of their trait. I just mm -hmm. learned about my trait two years ago and I was, I completely transformed my business. I transformed my life all because of this little piece of information that came into my life. And it was, it, it was the missing piece. Everything started to make sense. So, you know, HSPs really need to learn how to advocate for themselves and educate because the, you know, and I always say this whenever I'm, you know, working with people within minority groups is that we can't wait for the world to change for us. Right. We have to we have to make our voices louder and we have to be heard and we have to be seen. And that's, you know, I think the work you're doing and the work I'm doing is we're we're being the voice for people that haven't found their voice yet. And, uh, you know, as a gay man, it was like, am I going to wait for the world to give me permission to love myself? No, I have to do that job. That's an inside job. And then once I get my power back, I can start to empower other people around me. And I just think that's kind of what this work is about. So yeah, it's, this is a play on advocating, advocate for yourself, trust yourself. A lot of HSP struggle with trusting themselves um, because they've been told their whole life that they're wrong or they're needy or they're too emotional or whatever it is. And they've internalized these messages. And that's the social conditioning, right? That we need to unpack in this arena and, and learn how to change how we view two things, sensitivity and emotionality, 
right? And I don't use those in the same, they're, they're not interchangeable for me. They're like mm-hmm. sensitivity is not emotionality. It can be, it's a piece of it, but those two things, because I think our culture views both of those things as weak, you know, especially for men, I'll say, yeah, or people who identify as a man. Yeah. And I would say because our workplace systems are kind of revolve around men too, that as you grow up in leadership in an organization for women as well, and people who are non-binary also, we have to fall into those same constructs, right? Yeah. That perception that you're sensitive is something that I was certainly taught as a leader as well. To be a leader, you have to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think it's even beyond men because the, our, our workplace cultures often revolve around men that it, it is, and that we have this culture that affects a lot of us as a result and that masking. So let's talk a little bit about how highly sensitive people can become the best managers and leaders as, and, and really um, thrive in leadership as well. Um, any mm-hmm. thoughts there? Well, one word, empathy, mm-hmm. right? We have mm-hmm. high empathy and I think, you know, strong leaders need to have high empathy, right? And it's lacking in such a big way in corporation mm-hmm. and in politics. You know, you see, we, we don't see a lot of empathy in, in the corporate world or the political world. Um, it's very cutthroat. And I feel like, you know, when you move towards connecting with your empathy and understanding other people, that's what I think makes a great leader, right? Leaders don't make decisions for other people. They let other people inform them on the, the best decisions to make. And then they pull, right? They pull the trigger and they make the decision. And I think that that's healthy leadership, in my opinion. And that's the difference between leadership and management. Being mm-hmm. managed by somebody versus being led by somebody. I think it's a completely different um, experience. Yeah, I feel like, you know, we, we do f- pay fine attention to detail as well. And we pick up on the little things. So we'll notice the little things in our environment that need to change in order to make things feel good for people. And I always say like, we're really good, highly sensitive people are really good at finding comfort. Like we can walk into a room and we can look around and be like, wow, these lights are really bright. And, Mm. you know, so let's dim those a little bit and let's make the ambiance a little nicer. These chairs as comfortable as they could be, let's do this. Right. And we Mm. we're really good at making spaces feel very welcoming and inviting. And I think that, you know, if you have a highly sensitive person that's leading a team, I feel like they'll be really good at creating comfort, safety, security within that team dynamic. Mm-hmm. I can see how that could be taken into creating a sense of belonging, right? That, that yeah. in, in addition to the lights, really thinking about how can you help somebody feel like they belong in that, in that space, in that environment, on that team. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a big thing because a lot of HSPs have a core wound around belonging because we are different and we feel we were different. And we've, in some cases, we've been shamed for being different. So, you know, mm-hmm. that fear of rejection is really deep, runs really deep for HSPs. So I think that's one of the things that we're all really yearning for. And that's what I notice as a theme throughout all my courses and my, my clients is we're all just wanting to be seen and heard and feel like a sense of belonging. So usually what we yearn for from others is what we're, we're able to really readily give to others, right? And we're, we want that back. So, mm-hmm. the, you know, we can really build beautiful communities and inclusive spaces when we lead with that part of us that knows what it's like to not feel included, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the benefit of the empathy. So one, one final question, we, we always end with a call to action. So given our conversation today, what action would you like our listeners and viewers to take following this conversation? 
Ooh, so many things. Um, mm. The first would be to take the test. If you guys can put the link to the test in there so yeah. people can understand and, and if they do score high on their sense, the sensory processing sensitivity, learn about it. So you can go to my, my page at um, uh, Inspired to be Authentic on Instagram, or if you don't have Instagram, you can go to my website at mattlancetall.com and just start to learn about the trait and what it means. Because I, for me, it was the missing piece to the puzzle. It really helped me understand myself. It helped me understand my parents because my parents are both highly sensitive uh, as well. And it really allowed me to move towards a sense of forgiveness towards myself and towards others, because I really realized that, oh, this is, this is why my life has been more challenging because I had a, mm. a trait that I wasn't even aware of. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing for people that aren't highly sensitive. I really hope that this episode was an opportunity for you to be able to recognize in others, right? What sensitivity actually means and how it can be a gift. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leave off with a few things that you can use to identify people that are highly sensitive. Um, highly sensitive people tend to really be um, finicky with things in their environment because they need to accommodate their trait. And these can be seen sometimes as being high maintenance, but really it's just somebody respecting their needs and respecting the boundaries of their body and their mind so they can feel calm and relaxed. Mm -hmm. So things like um, being really sensitive to bright lights. Um, would be visual sensitivity. Auditory sensitivity are people that really are loud sounds can be really activating for them and it can set their nervous system off like dogs barking, loud music, sirens from, from police or ambulance, things like that. Itchy and scratchy fabrics. <laughs> we, we don't like those at all. We like soft fabrics. Um, so you won't see a highly sensitive person wearing wool, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> at least not with something underneath it. <laughs> trying to think of some other things that are important to share. My skin is sensitive mm -hmm. as well as like, just, I can't do yes. it, but, but you know, I, I'm allergic to wool because my, my skin breaks out as a result. It's interesting. And that makes oh. perfect sense. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm very sensitive to foods and more specifically stimulant foods. So like anything mm -hmm. like sugar, caffeine, alcohol, these sorts of things, um, my body just rejects them. So you'll see that a lot with a lot of food sensitivities, uh, for highly sensitive people. Yeah. You know, you can, and you can go to, um, Elaine Aaron's website as well, uh, hsperson.com and, and take the self-test and see where you score and then uh, go from there. So that would be my call to action. Learn about the trait. If you are it, then uh, start to understand it because it will be probably what sets you free. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. And, and we, we, we've mentioned several different links and websites and also books in this episode. So we'll put all those in the show notes for everyone. Great. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate yeah. this. Yeah. It's been nice connecting with you guys. You have a great team here. Everybody's so welcoming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I've learned more, more about myself as a result of, of meeting you and, and, and taking the test. And um, yeah. so I appreciate that as well. Yeah, cool. I want to also mention too, I'm uh, September 13th, I'm going to be running, I run a, a, a course called Authentic Relating and Empowerment for Highly Sensitive People. So me and a psychologist out of Australia have built a program, an eight-week program that encompasses authentic relating practices, which is learning how to show up as your most authentic self and, and set boundaries and communicate what your needs are. 
And then uh, empowerment is the emotion regulation. So learning how to work with your emotions, learning how to process your emotions in a healthy way. So we run we run this this workshop, uh, you know, every quarter. And so the next one is September 13th. So if anybody's you know finds out that they're, they're HSP and they want to work within a, a group of people who also score on this trait and learn about the trait together, then that would be a great opportunity. So. Fantastic. Great. Well, thank you all for listening and um, please take action as a result of um, our conversation today. And we will see you next week. To learn more about this episode's topic, visit ally.cc. Allyship is a journey. It's a journey of self-exploration, learning, unlearning, healing, and taking consistent action. And the more we take action, the more we grow as leaders and transform our communities. So what action will you take today? Please share your actions and learning with us by emailing podcast at changecatalyst.co or on social media, because we'd love to hear from you. And thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast and the YouTube channel and share this. Let's keep building allies around the world. Leading with Empathy and Allyship is an original show by Change Catalyst, where we build inclusive innovation through training, consulting, and events. Appreciate you listening to our show and taking action as an ally. See you next week.